Let's turn over to John chapter 13. This is where I started last night. And this is Jesus, the night before he was crucified, speaking last minute instructions to his disciples. And he said this in John chapter 13 and in verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. And last night, I basically spent the majority of the night talking about just kind of an introduction, how important this is, and how that most people have tried to love other people, but without, first of all, receiving God's love for them. And yet Jesus said, you love others as I have loved you. Until you receive God's love for you, you cannot turn around and give it. It's frustrating. And yet, on the other hand, once you experience God's kind of love, it just transforms you. And it makes you turn around and love people better accidentally than you've ever had it work on purpose before. And so the real problem in the body of Christ is, I believe, a lack of understanding God's kind of love for us. And we have cheapened the love of God. And I made this point, and I'm not going to re-preach this this morning, but uh, religion, I believe, has misrepresented God, grossly misrepresented God, has taught that God's love is conditional. And God only loves you when you've done everything right. But you do something wrong. You get mad and have a fight on the way to church, and God's liable to let you have cancer, to teach you something, to punish you. They've said that God is the one that puts trials and problems in our life to humble us and break us. If God was a person, He would be arrested in any civilized uh, society on the face of the earth and put in jail for making people retarded and and, uh, all of these kind of things and blind and lame and hurt and pain and your marriage fail and your business fail because He was doing things to you. Man, that's a terrible representation of God. God is not the source of all of these problems and God is not treating us the way that religion has described Him. I had two people come up to me this morning and say they've been Christians for a long period of time and never heard the things that I'm sharing. And yet, I'm not sharing deep things. I'm just sharing real simple things. That God's a good God. That God loves you. That He's not imputing your sin unto you. And people say, I've been to church all my life and have never heard this. That's a shame. And because of this, this is one reason that we aren't impacting our world. It says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one to another. There is tremendous division in the body of Christ. And I believe that if you just keep peeling back the layers, the reason for it is because we have been, we've had God misrepresented to us. We think God is temperamental. We think God judges people and is harsh with people. And if you don't read your Bible, God is liable to let your marriage just fall apart to show you that that's what you deserve. And if that's the way you think God is treating you, then that's the way you're going to treat others. We haven't understood God's unconditional love for us, and therefore we haven't walked in a very good unconditional love to others. And so what I want to do this morning, let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to take these verses where Paul just made a tremendous, tremendous expose on what God's kind of love from us to other people should be like. And here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I already quoted one of these verses this morning during the offering. Verse 3, that if you give all of your goods to feed the poor, or even if you lay down your body and give your body to be burned, and don't do it motivated by love, it profits you nothing. The word that's used here in the King James is the word charity. And the word charity today has a different meaning than when the Bible was written. Most people today, when you think of charity, you think of the Salvation Army or goodwill. And the reason that you associate the word charity with some kind of a humanitarian organization is because charity is talking about God's kind of love, but specifically God's kind of love expressed in love towards other people. So charity is really a very, very, very good word. It's a much better word than just love. Because today people say, I love God and I love my wife and I love my dog and I love ice cream. 
And hopefully those don't all mean the same thing. (laughs) I hope you don't love ice cream or your dog the same way that you love your mate. But we use that word and it means, you know, it's, it's not near as powerful as the word charity. And yet the word charity, most people haven't really dug into it and seen what it means. And so they just think of some kind of a humanitarian organization. But it is talking about a God kind of agape love that is expressed towards other people. And if you prophesy, if you give all of your goods to feed the poor, if you can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and yet you aren't motivated by God's kind of love, a supernatural kind of love, it profits you nothing. You're just sounding brass in a tinkling cymbal. And brothers and sisters, there is so much religious activity today that is nothing because it's motivated by the wrong heart. I used to go knock on doors and witness to people and I didn't do it because I love God or I love those people. I love myself. And I was doing it so I could get a pat on the back and hopefully that God would reward me with an answered prayer for so many people that I led to the Lord. That's a wrong motivation and it profited me nothing. I used to live a moral life. I still live a moral life, but I I lived a moral life trying to obtain something from God, not out of a pure heart because I loved God. I was doing it trying to buy something from God and that profits me nothing and it makes you frustrated. And so this is a tremendous, tremendous teaching on love. He teaches on what love is and what love is not, what love does, and what love does not in in these verses right here. So I want to look at verses 4 through 8, and this is talking about how God's love flows through you for people. But I want to turn this around, and and, uh, I think this will really help you if you could understand this. God would not demand you to love other people more than He loves you. That makes sense, doesn't it? God isn't going to ask you to live holier than He lives. He's not going to ask you to love more than He loves. Matter of fact, over in 1 John, it says we love Him because He first loved us. You and yourself can't do anything without God, first of all, doing it and putting these things on the inside of you. And so what I want to do is turn this around and say, if this is how God wants us to treat each other, if this is how God's kind of love is supposed to be manifest towards each other, I want to turn it around and say that if God expects us to treat each other this way, then God treats you this way. And this will radically change your concept of God. Let me just give you a story here before I get into these verses. But I went to Omaha, Nebraska. A man invited me to his church. He had about 600 people in his church. And apparently he thought I was uh, a condemnation legalistic preacher. I don't know where he got that from. But when I came, I started preaching on the grace of God. He didn't like it one bit. He got really, really mad. He told me, you're encouraging people to sin and you're saying that it doesn't matter if they do this and this. And I tried to explain it to him, but he didn't like it at all. And he would lead the praise and worship. And then he, he told the people, I'm sorry I invited this guy in. And he just criticized me and he would lead the praise and worship and then walk out of the service and go home. He wouldn't even stay. He got so upset. And this is 25, 30 years ago, and now I'm so much kinder and more posh. Maybe I'd respond better today, but you know, uh, I didn't respond real good back then. So anyway, he got up and he, he wrote a song and he had them sing this song about, I forgive you before you ask. I forgive you if you never ask. And the whole song was about how you're supposed to love other people regardless of their performance and in spite of their performance and whether they do the right thing. You just love them. You turn the other cheek. And so anyway, he got through and he was headed down the road. And I said, hey, let me ask you a question. Do you believe what you were singing? Yes, I believe what I was singing. I said, you're supposed to love people even if they aren't worthy of it. Even if they don't do everything right? Yes. And he was, man, I said, isn't that strange that some people would think that God wants us to live that way, but he himself won't live that way towards us. And he got the point and he just stomped out. But you know what? There's a lot of people that honestly, they teach that you're supposed to turn the other cheek. You're supposed to do these things to other people. And yet they don't believe that God 
treats us as nice as we're supposed to treat other people. So I want to use these things, talking about what God's kind of love is like, just to illustrate what God's love towards you is like. You can't give away something that you don't possess. And so you've got to open up and let God love you and receive it for yourself before you can operate in love towards other people. In verse 4, it says... Um, charity, that's God's kind of love, suffers long and is kind. And it goes all the way through verse 8. I'm going to take these one at a time, but man, this is big. I could spend an hour on this easily. God's kind of love suffers long and is kind. That word suffers long is actually from a compound Greek word and it means long temper is what those two words mean. God has a long temper. God does not have a short fuse. God is long-suffering. He tells us to be long-suffering to others, but I'm telling you, God is long-suffering towards us. And yet, most people don't have that concept. Most people think God is so strict, so severe, that He's just waiting on you to get out of line. Just mess up. Just do something wrong and boom, the wrath of God will come upon you. God won't answer your prayer because you haven't done something right, because you haven't been doing all of these things. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I know many of you are thinking, who would think that? Everybody's sitting here because that's the way that it's been taught. We've been taught that God has a short fuse, that God gets easily ticked off. Just don't read your Bible. Lose your temper one time. Do something wrong and God gets mad at you. Again, I know that, you know, I don't know every person in here, but I know people, I've dealt with thousands and thousands of people, and this is exactly what people say to me over and over and over again about, I know I haven't done everything right. What does that have to do with anything? You know, that kind of a statement right there is saying that you think God demands a certain level of performance before He will move in your life. That you have to have a certain level of holiness or goodness that makes you worthy of God moving in your life. But God doesn't do anything in your life tied to your worthiness. If God gave you you what you deserved, every person in here would go to hell. And I'm talking about even after you're born again. If God gave you what you deserved, you would go to hell. If God only answered your prayers when you were worth it, nobody would ever get a prayer answered. God has never had anybody qualified working for Him yet. And yet people constantly have this mindset that I have to earn God's goodness. I have to earn it. People constantly come to me and I'll say, do you know it's God's will for you to be well? Yes, but I just don't feel worthy. I don't feel like I've done enough. That is completely misrepresenting God. And again, I could minister on this forever. I've got so much to cover, I'm going to try and speed this along. But Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. The Lord didn't look at you and see someone who had it all together and that He says, oh, I've got to do something to help this person. They are such a good person. They are so close. I've got to help them. All they need is a little boost. That's not true. When God looked at us, compared to God's glory, this is a statement that will be lost on many of you because very few people have really seen the glory of God or understand the glory of God. We compare ourselves among ourselves and measure ourselves by ourselves and most people think that they're really pretty good. But if you were to ever get into the presence of God, if God could just somehow or another open up your eyes, you know, the Lord is with us right now and if we could see His glory, if we went beyond the physical realm into the spiritual realm and if you were to see the angels that are in this place and the glory of God, the same glory... There is not a single instance in the Bible when a person saw the glory of God that they didn't fall on their face and say something like Isaiah, that God, depart from me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Daniel felt like he was dead and had to have the Lord supernaturally strengthen him. John fell before the feet of the Lord as dead. 
Most people have never seen the glory of God. But when you see the glory of God, I guarantee you, you instantly know that it is not any goodness or worth or value on your part that causes God to love you. God loves you because He is love and not because you are lovely. God's love was commended towards you in that while you were yet a sinner, He died for you. He didn't just die for the people who had their act together. Nobody has their act together compared to God. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You need to recognize that God, His love is unconditional towards us. It's not based on some goodness. God is long-suffering. He is not easily ticked off. He does not get mad because you've done something. God isn't like that. Again, if you could bring this down to the terms of a human relationship, and if I was your friend and I was spending the day with you, and every time you did something wrong or said something wrong, I jumped on your case and said, don't say that, you shouldn't have thought that, don't do this, and if I was just constantly nitpicking and picking at you, I guarantee you there's very few people in here that would want to be my friend. You'd turn away from me in a hurry. One of the things that makes a friend is a person that, you know what, you don't do everything right and they love you anyway. I'm sure every one of you understands that. And yet, Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is not as critical as people have presented him to be. He's not critical at all. You know, I had not got time to go into this. I'll just say it. Some of you will choke on this, but if you want to, I've got teaching out there that will go into more explanation and explain this. But you know what? God has forgiven all of your sin, past, present, and future sin. Even the sin you hadn't committed has already been forgiven. When you mess up, it doesn't shock God. It may shock you, but He knows what you're capable of. He knows everything, and He's already forgiven it. And God's not mad at you. God's not even in a bad mood. God is not holding your sins against you, which is what religion is teaching. Religion will say, oh, well, you come and you get born again and your sins get forgiven. But then what happens the next time you sin? Oh, you've got to get that sin under the blood and you've got to get it reconfessed and you've got to constantly just be dealing with your unworthiness and coming before God and constantly cleansing yourself. And yet the scripture, I'm real close to teaching on this, but I'm not going to do it in the name of Jesus. But it, you have been sanctified and perfected forever. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 and 14. And that took place in your spirit. God is a spirit. John 4, 24 says, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is looking at you in the spirit. He's aware of your physical body, what you're doing. He's aware of your soul, what you think. But he deals with you based on who you are in the spirit. And in the spirit, you are a brand new person. All of your sin has been washed away. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13. And when a Christian sins, that sin may enter into your body and give Satan an access against you physically. It may enter into your soul and cause discouragement and depression, etc. But it doesn't penetrate the seal around your spirit. Your spirit is as holy and pure and righteous as it was the moment you got born again. It's as righteous as it will be in eternity. You are clean and pure and God is dealing with you based on that and because of it, He is not criticizing you every time you do something wrong. He's not withdrawing His power. He's not short-tempered. He's not angry with you. He told you to be long-suffering and kind. God is more long-suffering and kind than any of us have ever thought about being. God is not mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood. God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't make God love you more and you can't make God love you less. God loves you, period. That is. And you know what? There's things that you can do that will make you love God less. There's things that you can do that hardens your heart towards God. And so you should live holy and you should read the Bible because you aren't going to hear the things that I'm saying very often in church. Matter of fact, you'll hear the opposite of this in church. 
You'll hear that God is just looking and he's waiting for you to get out of line. Bam, he's going to get you. I've actually had people before say that they pictured God as an old man in heaven with a huge long beard leaning over the rails of heaven with a lightning bolt just looking for somebody to hit to release his power. You know, that's a kind of an exaggeration, but really most Christians believe that God is just sitting there waiting for you to mess up. And I tell you, if that's the way that God was, we'd all be in big trouble because you mess up all the time. Some of you are messing up right now in the things you're thinking about me. (laughs) If God was the way that you pictured him being, he'd be on your case right now because of the things that you're thinking. God is not like that. He is long-suffering. Boy, that's good. You know, I'm still in the process of renewing my mind, but there's so many things that if I was God, I wouldn't have picked me. Man, there's other people a lot more qualified, and yet God has just blessed me and put me in a position to influence billions of people. And God is long-suffering, and I'm, I'm renewing my mind, and I'm just, I'm thrilled at how patient God is with me. That I haven't done everything right. There's some of you came here, somebody told you about me, and you came here looking for something wrong. I got something for you. I'll do something wrong. I'll do something that you won't like. But you know what? God's not as nitpicking as you are. God's not as critical as you are. He's not as religious as you are. God loves me in spite of who I am. And God chose me. And if God chose me, who are you to reject me? I'm just thrilled with the fact that God is long-suffering. And notice the next part of that, it says, and kind. Did you know that kind is not a quality that most people would attribute to God? And yet this is the way God's kind of love through us. People think that we're supposed to be kind to others, but we don't think God's kind to us. We see God as an imposing figure who rules in intimidation and manipulation. And boy, God isn't going to be kind. But this is saying that this is the way God's kind of love is, and I want you to know that God Himself is kind. The Lord tries to speak things to all of you in here that you won't receive. Because it's kind, and you don't envision God as being kind. You reject it. You know, Jamie and I, when we first got started in ministry, I remember sitting in some services... Catherine Kuhlman's meetings and some other services where the power of God was just so strong that we sat there hours after everybody else left. We thought, how can they just get up and leave? This is holy ground. And we would just sit there and we would be overwhelmed and just worshiping God and thanking God. And I remember being so thankful that God would manifest Himself and touch our lives that we were just, we were spellbound. Just thanking God. And I remember one of the first times that that ever happened in my services. I was in Omaha, Nebraska. And I remember driving back to the hotel. And I was thinking, God, I saw other people experiencing the same thing. We saw the power of God manifest so much that people were just just sitting there. They wouldn't leave. They were just sitting there basking in the presence of God and worshiping God. And I was so thankful. I was driving back to my hotel and I said, Thank you, Father, for showing up in our meetings and ministering like this and using me. And I was just thanking the Lord. And you know what? The Lord spoke to me and He says, Well, thank you, Andrew. And when He said that, I started to say, That can't be God. God would never say thank you to me. Most of you wouldn't let God say thank you to you. But you know what? God's a kind God. If you would allow Him, the Lord would tell you thank you. Thank you for showing mercy to somebody. Thank you for helping somebody. You know, God is that kind of a God. And yet most people don't see God that way. They look at that as a sign of weakness. And man, I'd lose my authority and power if I was to make myself vulnerable and just say thank you and you were a blessing. And yet God is like that. 
You know, the Lord is trying to show His goodness and mercy to every one of us, but we won't let that. It's like we have a filter, and we see God in a certain way, and we won't let God love us the way that He wants to. Psalms chapter 35, verse 27 says, Let all those who favor my righteous cause say continually, Let God be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. God is pleased when you prosper. God wants to bless you. You were created for His pleasure. Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. You were created for His pleasure. God gets tremendous pleasure out of you. And if you would let Him, did you know that the Lord would just tell you, Oh, you're awake again. I'm so glad. I love you. Thank you for what you've done. And yet most of us won't let God say those things to us. You have, it says, let God be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of His servants. You have to let it. God won't force it on you. If you see God as a harsh God, and if it was to come across as offensive to you that God would show love and acceptance and be kind to you, He won't, he won't force it on you. God will be to you, basically, the image that you have of Him. He said of himself in, in uh, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus was speaking and he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. The Lord doesn't dominate and control and manipulate people the way that he's been represented. Look at Jesus. When Jesus came to this earth... He came unannounced except to shepherds, except unto the poor of the people. He didn't go and, you know, God could have come on a 747 jet and have landed outside of Jerusalem and made a grand entrance. And yet he came in a way that it took faith to look at this little baby and think this is God. He didn't announce it to the movers and the shakers. He was meek and lowly. It took faith to recognize that this was Jesus. And Jesus didn't force himself on people. Jesus would, would approach people and offer help, but he didn't force people. You know, when he rose from the dead, there is not a single instance in Scripture of him appearing to a person who was a non-believer after his resurrection. He only appeared to people who already believed and he encouraged them. All he would have had to have done is just hover over Jerusalem. There was hundreds of thousands of people that saw him crucified. All he would have had to have done is come back to life, hover over Jerusalem, and he could have had hundreds of thousands of people on their face saying, you are God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. God wants you to perceive him by faith. He wants you to relate to him by faith, and he doesn't force you to do things. I was talking to a woman this morning who had had some really bad things happen to her and she'd been fighting depression. And I said, look, there's no doubt that bad things happen, but you know what the Bible says in Psalms 23, I think it's verse 6 or 7, that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It didn't say that goodness and mercy are the only thing following. We live in a fallen world and there's bad things that happen. People die. There's strife. There's all kinds of things going on. There's lots of things. But there, there's the guarantee that goodness and mercy are also following you. And you know what? You could choose to look on the goodness and mercy or you can choose to look on the bad. And this is what I started ministering to this lady. That sure, you've had a lot of bad things happen to you. But you know what? God's been good to you too. It could have been worse. It could have been much worse than what you're experiencing. And you just have to look for the good. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the firmament shows His handiwork. Psalms chapter 19. And God is constantly, the word declare there and shows forth is talking about that it screams, that it's yelling at us. Every single day, creation is testifying to the glory of God. Man, we see these awesome sunrises and sunsets, beautiful things. Man and all of his power, all of the cumulative power of mankind and all of the money and the wealth of mankind could not produce one sunrise or one sunset. It's just constantly shouting out that God is alive and real. And you could sit there and look at it, but most people just pass right on by and don't even think about it. 
Man, you have a beautiful day and the birds are singing, the air is clean. And we've got all of these things that are telling us about the goodness of God. Goodness and mercy are with you every minute of every day. You ought to be praising God that things are as good as they are. We tend to complain about politics and talk about how our nation is going and how that immorality... And, you know, all of those things exist. But you know what? We ought to praise God. It's as good as it is. Paul lived in a situation where the ruler over his uh, deal thought that he was God, proclaimed himself as God. Slavery was the rule of the day. The Romans could come in and just kill you and do things to you. There was no such thing as the liberties that we have today. I'm not saying that we bury our head and say that there isn't need to do something and, and to deal with our nation, but you ought to be praising God that we've got the freedoms that we've got. And Paul, in a situation that was a hundred times worse than our situation, saw the world turn right side up. He impacted nations. He had awesome results. People raised from the dead. There is no reason for us to be griping and complaining. There's no reason for us to be complacent. We need to deal with things, but at the same time, goodness and mercy are following us, and you could choose to look at it. Nobody's here critiquing us. I've been in foreign countries where we had to meet. We had to hide from the police in China and get off and... and, uh, Looked like we were going to be caught and I had to run for my life and stuff. We don't have to do that here. There's good things going on. There's goodness and mercy in our life. We ought to be praising God for the freedoms we have in this nation, for how good it is. (laughs) Praise God that we've got some godly people rising up and running for office and doing things. You can either look on the bad and and think about that or you can look on the good. And sad to say, Christians are some of the worst ones for ferreting out all of the bad stuff. Again, I'm not saying that we ignore it. You have to deal with problems, but this is one reason I don't listen to the talk show host. I think that they're good in a sense because our news media is so biased they don't accurately represent God. We need a conservative alternative. But I couldn't spend three hours a day listening to that negativism and the sarcasm and the terrible things that are being said. Thank you for that one, amen. I'm not against those guys. I think that they're serving a purpose, but I tell you what... The conservatives, the Christians have become so negative, looking, griping and complaining that sometimes we are our own worst enemy and we discourage ourselves and stuff. I tell you, God's kind of love over in. Uh, here's another thing that goes right along with this over in Philippians chapter four. Look at this. This is how God told us to act. And so this is how he acts in Philippians chapter four. Let the peace of God, which passes all understanding, or excuse me, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. If God told us to act that way, that's the way that he acts. Again, God is aware that there's evil in this world, but when God created the heavens and the earth, there was darkness. And then he said, let there be light. And it says God saw the light, that it was good. He didn't focus on the darkness. He saw the light. God is looking at what he's doing in this world. God is moving in unprecedented ways. Not very many people feel that way. Because again, we are plugged into the world's systems of news and we are hearing all of the bad reports. But did you know in all of the Bible, there are a total of eight people raised from the dead. Did you know I personally know over 38 people who have been raised from the dead or who have raised other people from the dead. I've seen three people raised from the dead. You don't hear that very often. But I know over four times as many people that have been raised from the dead as all of the Bible, 6,000 years, 4,000 years of recorded history combined. We're living in an awesome day. We had a woman just last night. She came up, she was the one, I think right back here, that had the pain in the neck and she got everything. 
And she said that her neck turned red. She had had some problems and she was healed and she slept good last night. She was unable to sleep before. We've seen people healed here last night. We saw great miracles happen. God is moving in unprecedented ways. And yet most people don't look at the light. They look at the darkness. They don't think on those things that are honest and pure and lovely. You know, if you were to follow this guideline right here, most of us would have to throw away our television. All except the gospel truth, amen. (laughs) But just think about this. Whatsoever things are true. How much stuff do you listen to that's not true? And a lot of what you think is news is not news. It's opinion. They're trying to shape opinion. It's prophecy. They ought to call it the evening prophecy instead of the evening news. For instance, they prophesied worldwide avian flu that would be a pandemic. One third of the world's population would be destroyed in two years. And we just got an update on that. I forgot there's 300 cases worldwide in the last 10 years or whatever. It is a lie. It wasn't true. And yet you listen to that and it's being presented as thus saith the Lord. This is the way it's going to be and it's wrong. If you were only going to focus on things that are true, you'd have to turn off your news broadcast because it is not true what they're telling you. They are lying to you systematically. The very way that they phrase things, it's manipulating the truth. It's misrepresenting things. So you're supposed to think on things that are true, things that are honest. Man, there's a lot of lies. We just had a newspaper in Colorado Springs write an expose on us and they contacted Jim down here because I had said that I live in a house that was built for $60,000 and we paid the builder $3,000 and they went and found out that we took out a $120,000 loan and so they were going to call me on it and show that I had lied about this thing. So Jim explained to him that I bought the house for 60000 paid the builder 3000 but we had to buy the property, we had to put in electricity, cost me $18,000 cash to get electricity run to our place because we're so far out in the country, and by the time you add the well together and the road and everything, it was $120,000. So we explained that to him. So there was zero reason for them to misunderstand this because we explained it to him. And yet, they just ignored all of that and wrote their thing and said the Wamucks live on a $460,000 estate and they just lied. It was dishonest. It's an absolute misrepresentation. And I can guarantee you so much of what you are hearing is like that. So much of the stuff that you hear is an absolute lie. Taking things taken out of context. You know, I'm not a Mitt Romney supporter, so this is not a political endorsement. But they criticized him over saying that he is not for the very poor. And I heard the quote. And what he was saying is, I'm not for the very poor or the very rich. I'm for the average American. He was just saying, I am not going to take policy and gear it towards only 1% on either side. I'm trying to minister to everybody. There was not a thing wrong with what he said. And yet people have just, I mean... Let him have it, taking it out of context. That's not honest. It's not honest. I don't care if I'm for the guy or against the guy. It's not honest. And so much of what we're hearing isn't honest. You're supposed to think only on things that are true and things that are honest and things that are just. That's not just treatment. There is so much junk that we're watching. Whatsoever things are pure. How many of you would consider the shows that you watch pure? Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. People wonder, why am I depressed? You watch people kill each other, murder, lie, steal, rape lambast each other, say things, do things. You watch all this stuff for entertainment and then wonder why you're discouraged. That's ignorance gone to seed. (laughs) If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Did you know if you did this, you'd never be discouraged. 
Goodness and mercy are following you continually. God is good. God is kind. But the sad fact is we aren't focused on what God is doing and His goodness. We're looking at all of the junk in this world. You let the sewage of the world flow through your mind and then wonder why you feel dirty. It's just crazy. How dumb can you get and still breathe? I know people are shocked that I say these things, but you gotta, you got to shock people because it's like we have been numb to where people don't even recognize. And they say, why am I discouraged? Because there's so much discouraging stuff and they never report on the good stuff. They don't tell you about all of the planes that landed safely. They're going to report on the one that crashed. They aren't going to tell you about all of the people who helped each other and did good and all of these awesome things. They're going to tell you about the people going in and rape and murder and plunder. And that's what our focus is on. I got off on all this by saying God himself follows his own instructions. God is looking at the good in you. God isn't sitting here just waiting for you to get out of line and he's going to blast you. God is kind. You know, the Lord will say, I appreciate you. I appreciate you sticking with your mate. I appreciate you. You know, most people think that when you get up, I remember a preacher that he got up and preached in his 8.30 a.m. service. And he started off by saying, how many of you have sinned today? And nearly every hand in the congregation went up, including his wife's hand. And he just stopped and he says, what have you done today that's sin? It's only 8.30 in the morning. What have you done? And she said, well, I can't think of anything, but I just know that I'm constantly sinning and missing the mark. And most people live that kind of way, that they just feel like they're always sinning. There's always something wrong. Why don't you think about what you did right? Did you know getting up and taking a shower is a good thing? Thank you for taking a shower, amen. That's a good thing. That's a righteous thing. You know what, most of you combed your hair, brushed your teeth. Thank you. You put on clothes, you look nice. Thank you. You know, you've done a lot of really good things today. But you don't think about the good things. You just always are looking for something wrong. What have I done wrong? And that's because religion has taught us that this is the way God is. God wouldn't thank you. He wouldn't commend you over something good. But you do one thing wrong and God will let you have it. I'm telling you, God created light and he looked at the light and saw that it was good. God thinks on things that are honest and pure and lovely and God is kind. And you know what? If you would allow him, God would tell you, thank you. Thank you for getting up and getting dressed and coming to this service today. Thank you for sitting under the word. Thank you for giving my word an opportunity to influence you and to change your life. God would be kind to you. He's doing this constantly, but most of us won't even let that come. You wouldn't let a thought like that come to you. I remember when I first got turned on to the Lord that I, Jamie and I used to drive over to a church that was 40-something miles away from where we lived. And so on Sunday morning, we'd go over, and rather than drive back and then have to go back for Sunday night, we would just stay over there during the day. And we would stay with different people eat lunch with them and stuff. And there was this one family that I stayed with that they had a daughter that was in her 20s that hated God and hated me above all people on the face of the earth. She hated me. She couldn't stand to be around. So anytime she knew that I was coming, she would leave. And it was a Sunday afternoon and I got sleepy and I said something about it. And they said, just go up into our daughter's room and take a nap. And I said... Well, what if she comes back? Oh, she won't be back as long as you're here. You just <laughs> take a nap. So anyway, I went into her bedroom and I took a nap. And I mean, I was sound asleep. And I mean, the door opened up and I woke up just like that. I was wide awake. This wasn't a dream. I was wide awake. But I thought, Immediately I thought, oh, she must have had to come back and get something. She does not want to see me. I do not want to see her. So I just laid on the bed and played possum. <laughs> I acted like I was asleep. But I listened and she walked around that room and she opened up a door, a closet door, I assume. I could hear her open up drawers and I was just laying there. 
And finally, she walked over and stood next to the bed that I was on. And I was wondering what's going on. But by that time, I was afraid to open my eyes. I was afraid of what I'd see. And then she sat down on the bed and leaned across me. I could feel the weight and kissed me right on the lips. And when that happened, I opened my eyes. And there was nobody in that room. Nobody was there. And you know, I thought, what is this? And my first thought was, God, is that you? And then I thought, God wouldn't come in and kiss me. He'd come in and kick me or yell at me or you sorry thing. Why aren't you praying instead of sleeping? Why aren't you studying the word? And I, and I caught myself and the Lord spoke to me and he said, Andrew, if I loved you enough to die for you, don't you think I'd walk into this room and kiss you? And you know what? I, it was hard, 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 hard to believe that God would treat me like that. And I bet you it was over 10 years before I ever told that to anybody because I was afraid of what people would think. But you know, God is a good God. God is kind towards you. He's loving towards you. The Lord, would, He would constantly be building you up and saying, go for it. You hadn't done everything perfect, but you know what? I'm for you. Go for it. If you would allow it, God would be saying nice things to you. God would be kind and yet... He won't do it if it's going to offend you. You know, the scripture says you're supposed to greet one another with a holy kiss. That's what the Bible says. But you know what? You have to take that into account that not everybody goes by that standard. And if I went up and just greeted every woman with a holy kiss, I could be genuine in my heart, but I have to discern where that person is. This might be offensive to them. And if I feel that, you know, there's some people that when they talk to you, they're this close. And there's other people that are this far away. We all have our different level of uh, space. And, st- and you know what? You have to, when you deal with people, you have to constantly evaluate what is comfortable with them. And maybe you are more touchy-feely than a person, but you know what? Some people will take that as an offense. And you have to, you have to figure this out. And you do this in a very short period of time. And if you find a person... That man, they just don't touch. They don't hug. They certainly don't greet one another with a holy kiss. Even though that wouldn't offend me, I wouldn't do that to you because it would be offensive to you. And I could love you and I mean have a real passion for you and yet I'd never demonstrate it if I thought that was going to offend you. God's like that. If you're going to be offended by God talking to you and saying something nice, He won't say it because it would be offensive to you. But if you would let him, the Lord would love you. He is long-suffering and he's kind towards you. And yet most people will not let God be that way. And the things that I'm saying probably have offended some religious people in here today because God would never be like that. This is exactly the way he told us to be, long-suffering and kind. Did you know that just saying thank you to people is important? I say thank you to people all the time, and I have people that are just shocked that I'm just kind to them. Of course, down here in Texas, you know, we're more friendly than most places. I remember I took some of our students from Colorado, and we drove down here to Texas. We were in a van going to a meeting, and I just got to visiting with the lady at a gas station. I paid the the bill, and I was talking to her, and we were laughing and carrying on. And my students, when we got back out, did you know that girl? I said, no, I've never seen that girl before. I said, well, you talk to her just like you've known her forever. And I said, hey, we're in Texas. People are friendly down here, amen. Do you know what? That's a godly trait is just being friendly with people. And God is more like that than you would ever allow him to be. If you would let him, God would just be friendly to you. He'd be kind to you. He'd say thank you. We make it, I don't know how to say all these things, but we make our relationship with God where it's got to be dramatic. It's got to be fantastic. It's got to be spectacular. We've got to have bells and whistles and fireworks going off every time we get with God and God has to speak something earth-shattering to us for us to feel like we've really connected with God. Did you know Adam and Eve? 
He met with them every day in the cool of the evening. They didn't have demons to cast out, didn't have clothes to believe for, they didn't have people to pray for, evangelistic crusades, churches to work in. What did they fellowship with God about? What do you talk about when you're living in paradise and you don't have any needs and nobody's treated you wrong and nothing is to repent of and nothing's to ask for? What did they do? I don't know for sure, but I believe they said something like, God, we saw this animal today, the duckbill platypus. It's like you had all of these leftover parts and you just put them into this one animal. It was awesome. And man, we saw a horse running today. That is such a beautiful animal. You did a great, great job. God, we saw flowers today. We saw things. And they just were thanking him for the beauty that they, he created and how good he is. And he was, he was just enjoying hanging with them and being with them. Nothing special happening. You know, I believe that we don't know how long they existed before they sinned. But I believe that's, that's what they did. They just talked to God about, man, what a beautiful day today. What a great day. Thank you, Father. The things are so good. Goodness and mercy are with you all of the time. God is trying to be kind to you and speak to you. And you, most people, will not let God be kind. But God is a kind God. If you would allow it, God would say thank you to you. God would say, you know, you're really doing better in this area. Amen. You didn't fall on the floor and throw a temper tantrum this time. I'm proud of you. You're doing better. You may not be perfect, but man, you're better than you've ever been. You know, God would encourage you. God would speak good things to you. God is kind. Look over in Isaiah chapter 54. You need to read this out of your own Bible. Some of you wouldn't believe this is in the Bible. Isaiah 53, of course, is where the Lord spoke about Jesus bearing our infirmities, carrying our griefs. By His stripes we were healed. Isaiah chapter 54 is the results of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And it talks about now, if you felt barren, like you could never do anything right, you need to rejoice. You're going to have more children than the married wife. Those of you that just feel like you are unproductive, man, it's your time to shine. And He's, he's just talking about all of these wonderful benefits of what Jesus did. And then he said this in verse 9. This is Isaiah 54, 9. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. Let me explain a couple of things. There are different covenants in the Bible. There are some covenants that are conditional. You do this and I'll do this. There are other covenants that are unconditional Separate of what you deserve, this is what I will do, I swear by myself. And the covenant with Noah was an unconditional covenant. He didn't say, if the children of man never provoke me again, and if you don't get into sin again, then I'll never destroy the earth with a flood. Nope, it was unconditional. No qualifications. God said, I repent over what I've done, destroying all but eight people on the face of the earth. And he says, I swear by myself that regardless of what man does, I will never again destroy the earth with the flood, period. No conditions. And this is the point that he's making. In the same way as the covenant of Noah was unconditional, it doesn't matter what you do or don't do, this is what I will do. In that same way, here is an unconditional covenant that I have sworn I would never be wroth with you nor rebuke you. I bet you that the vast majority of people sitting right here feel like God has been angry with you since you've been born again. That God has rebuked you. Here is an unconditional covenant. God said He would never do that. God has never been angry at you and God has never rebuked you. And I'm sure there's people thinking, oh, you don't know. Man, God got on my case. No, now, the Lord convicts you. And, but you know how the Lord convicts me? He just shows me that, Andrew, this is not what I had for you. And He'll show me something through the Word. And I guarantee you, it's, it's worse than a beating when I see that I've done something that displeased the Lord. But He doesn't rebuke me and God does not get angry at me. That's your religion. 
that's rebuking you and making you feel the wrath of God. God has never been angry with you since you got born again. And God has never rebuked you. God is not the one who is terrorizing you. I've heard people get up in church before and say, I did whatever and the Holy Ghost just made me miserable. The Holy Ghost wouldn't give me any peace. Man, I was miserable. God was on my case. Not so. It's not what the Word says. That was your own conscience and Satan condemning you and religion amplified it. But God is not the one who makes your life miserable. God is not the one who's aggravating you and doing these things to you. That's what this verse says. It's an unconditional covenant. After Jesus, God is never going to be angry with you nor rebuke you. Does that mean He's pleased with everything? No, and He, will, he loves you enough that He'll show you that something needs to change, but it'll always be in a positive, encouraging, uplifting way, not in a condemning way. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. The word no there is an absolute negative. Absolutely none. Zero. Zilch. Nada. There is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. God is not condemning you. God is not the source of your condemnation. Your sense of unworthiness, your sense of failure, your awareness of all of the things that you're doing wrong is not God. It is your own conscience that has been amplified by religion. I'm not even sure you can say it's the devil. With most people, the devil could take a vacation. You're doing a bang-up job of condemning yourself. It is true that Satan does condemn, but I'm not, I think that many of us, he could just take a vacation. We're doing such a good job of it ourselves. He would never be angry with you nor rebuke you. And then in verse 10, For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that has mercy on thee. This says the mountains will depart and the hills be cast into the sea before His mercy is removed. You don't have mountains to look at, but I do. Right outside my window is Pikes Peak, and it's still there. So I'm telling you, as long as there are mountains, God's kindness has not been removed from you. His covenant of peace has not been removed from you. God is not upset. God is not ticked off. God is not angry at you. Again, He loves you so much that He doesn't want to leave you the way you are. He will show you things and help you to improve, but He loves you just the way you are. God is not mad at you. He is seeing you in the Spirit. He's seeing the part that He created. He's looking at the good in your life. Everybody else is looking at the bad, seeing all of the things that you're doing wrong and holding it against you and reminding you of every mistake. God isn't like that. God has been misrepresented. The Lord is not picking you apart and analyzing you the way you analyze yourself. The Bible says that God counted me faithful in Philippians chapter 1. You know, when we started these gospel truth seminars, I remember the very first one we held was in Kansas City. And we had, I don't know, but there was five or six totally terminally ill people being brought on stretchers and things and they told me all of these reports and I remember Jamie was out shopping and I was in my motel room thinking, God, what have I done? All of these people are coming expecting something and I just felt inadequate. And you know, the Lord spoke to me from Philippians chapter 1. He says that I counted you faithful putting you in the ministry. That's what it says that God counted me faithful. And the Lord spoke to him and he says, Andrew, I got faith in you. Not faith in my flesh, but in the born again part of me. And he says, I've been working on you for 30 something years. I wouldn't have opened up this opportunity if I didn't think you could do it. And I, I just can't tell you what that did for me to think that God had faith in me. And yet there's some of you, oh, I'd never say something like that. Obviously. You wouldn't let God encourage you. 
Because you think God would never say anything that would build you up. He might say something to rebuke you and criticize you and tear you down because that's the way that God's been represented. But I'm telling you, if God tells you to be long-suffering and kind, then I can guarantee you God is long-suffering and kind. God's not mad at you. Man, God's pleased with you. And some of you think, I can't believe God's pleased with me because you're displeased with yourself. But that's because you're looking on the outside. God's looking on the inside. He's looking at the born-again part of you. God sees you differently than you see yourself. This is the reason that, man, you ought to get my teaching on spirit, soul, and body and find out who you are in Christ and what the Lord did on the inside of you. Most of us only know ourselves in the natural. We don't know who we are in the spirit. But in the spirit, you're awesome. You're identical to Jesus. You have His same righteousness, His same holiness. Everything good about Jesus is on the inside of you. You aren't only spirit. You have a soul that does things wrong and has all kinds of problems. And you've got a body that does things wrong. But God is a spirit. John 4, 24. And if you're going to really worship and connect with God, you have to do it in spirit and in truth. And God is looking at the spirit part of you and seeing that, man, you're awesome. You come before Him and you say, Oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm such a failure. God, I messed up again. God, how could you ever love me? And God's looking at your spirit and thinking you're awesome. You're my workmanship in Christ Jesus. You're holy. You're pure. You're righteous. And He just thinks you're absolutely awesome. And you're looking in the mirror at your zits and your gray hair and your fat and you're thinking, God, I'm such a mess. God's looking at you in the spirit and saying, You're just wonderful. You're beautiful. How can two walk together except they be agreed? We need to start agreeing with God. We need to see ourselves in Christ Jesus and recognize that God is long-suffering and kind. I said I could preach on that an hour. I think I did. I wanted to go further, but you know what? We got another service tonight. I never finish, I just quit and we start again. So we'll come back and we'll continue on this. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, God is passionate about you much more than what any of you recognize. And if you would let Him, the love of God, if you could ever experience God loving you, God Almighty saying that He thanks you, that He appreciates you, that He cleared His calendar so that He could spend the whole day with you? If you could ever get hold of that, I guarantee you, it would cause you to live holy. It would cause you to forsake other things. You would serve a God if you ever knew how passionate He loved you. If you really knew how kind He is and how good He is towards you, I wouldn't have to beg a single person to do anything. If you're having to coerce people, condemn people to get them to do the right thing, it's because they don't know how good God is. Once you experience the goodness of God, you'll give up anything. Man, I'd give up chewing gum if I thought that it pleased God. I'd give up anything. I'd give up breathing if I thought that would please God. I'd do anything. Once you experience the goodness of God... You'll give anything for Him. And that's what the Scripture says. We love Him because He first loved us. We need to receive His love for us. And again, I want to go back to that Scripture. I quoted Psalms 35, 27. Let God be magnified. If you were to diagram that sentence, you would have to say, you let God be magnified. It's up to you whether God's kind to you or not. If you're uncomfortable with that, if your religion won't let God love you, He won't offend you. He won't force it on you. You have to open up. When I first understood the love of God, I saw it and I understood it in my heart. But boy, this was so different than my religion that it bothered me. And I remember I used to go and stand in front of a mirror and look myself eyeball to eyeball. And say, Andrew, God loves you. God carries your picture in his wallet. God's got an 8 by 10 of you on his mantle in heaven. 
God, and I would say those things and all the hair on the back of my neck would stand up like, oh God, don't kill me for saying this. But I would say it because I'd seen it in the Word and I was trying to believe it, but I didn't feel, and I just forced myself to believe it. I spoke to myself that God is pleased with me, that God loves me. There's many of you that have never done that. But I tell you, if you don't force yourself, if you don't start speaking it to yourself, God won't force it. He won't make you do that. God is not going to offend you. God is a meek and lowly God. And if you want to reject Him and look at Him as a harsh, mean God, He'll bring you to a meeting and have somebody speak these things to you and try and help you. But He won't force it on you. He won't make you receive this. You can go back to thinking he's a mean, angry God that is just constantly picking you apart and looking for everything wrong and he will deal with you the best he can with your screwed up theology. But I'm telling you, God loves you and God wants to have an intimate relationship with you and be your best friend. And if you could ever receive that kind of a love, you'd throw away any other relationship to serve a God like that. Man, we need to be preaching the goodness of God. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and to make this real to people. Father, I ask that the Holy Spirit right now would just be speaking to people about the good things that they've done. Not to acknowledge that we don't have problems and things that need to change, but Father, thank you that you are kind and that you point out the good things. You think on things that are honest and true and lovely and pure and of good report, things that have virtue and praise. Father, that's just your nature. I pray that you make that real to your people and that we would begin to experience your pleasure, your kindness, your acceptance, that we would acknowledge being accepted in the Beloved. And Father, the guilt and the condemnation would leave people right now. Father, we welcome the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that this just draws people to you. Thank you, Jesus. We receive with meekness this word which is able to save our souls. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me ask again today if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus.